In Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 14, we, we read about the time where Jesus sat down with his disciples, his followers, and shared what he was about to do. And so he says this, When the hour had come, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So as he was contemplating the path to the cross, he, he, he makes this comment that he desires to eat this Passover with his followers one more time. Then he tells, and he says this in verse 16, I tell you I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. As we study this um, journey to the cross here this morning, um, let's keep this thought in mind that as we commemorate this meal here, this communion meal here this morning, Jesus' very words to us were that every time we do this, that we would do this in remembrance of him. And so I've entitled the message this morning, Remembering the Ransom Paid. And that's what we, we want to do as we look at the Word of God. Um, I want to uh, point to some different passages um, that relate to, to Christ's suffering and, and how he went to, to Calgary. Somebody get that? Calvary. <laughs> on, on behalf of our sins. Not Calgary, but Calvary. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to, to Mark chapter 14. I want to share a really... A really good um, passage there, a really good reminder for us. Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 32. After he went um, from the Passover meal, he went to a place called Gethsemane, to, to the garden with his disciples. And scripture tells us there that he said to his disciples that they should sit at a place while... He went to pray. While I pray, he says. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. In this uh, scripture passage here, um, sharing, I was sharing some of these thoughts Wednesday at prayer meeting, but I just was just really motivated and just encouraged to meditate on this. And, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this scene in the garden. And maybe a thought has come to your mind, why, why did Jesus struggle so much with the cross? Especially as history reveals to us that other martyrs went boldly to their crucifixion. Peter was not even willing to hang on a cross the same way as the Savior, but rather requested his, his um, 
captors that they would rather hang him upside down. You know, men like Polycarp, who, who gladly went to the stake to be burned for his faith in Christ. So sometimes you, you ask yourself, why did Jesus struggle so much? Why was he distressed and troubled? And he, he fell on the ground and he, he asked the Father if it was possible that he would remove this cup from him. And one of the, 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 the things that I've observed um, that every Christian martyr after Christ never had to encounter what Jesus encountered. Not only was Jesus going to his physical death, and sometimes we, we really focus on, on the suffering of our Savior physically, and he did. He suffered uh, horribly, terribly um, by, by the hands of, of Pilate and, and Herod and, and the, the soldiers and even, even the Pharisees. Yeah, he suffered horribly when he hung on the cross, but this passage here in, in the garden, the, the issue that Jesus was dealing with was not, was not his problem with what would happen to him physically. His concern, his distress, his troubledness was in relation to his separation from the Father in the sins of the world that were going to be placed upon him. He was going to become this substitutionary um, price sacrifice for us and and it was that thought that disunity that he that, that he was about to experience with the trinity this separation from the father and it grieved him and it troubled him and even to the point where he asked the father um, if it were possible to go another way jesus never veered though from it he was willing to go through great um, trouble physically, but also emotionally and even spiritually to, to pay that ultimate price for us. In, in the garden here, as we look at, as we consider this scene, he took with him three of his followers, three of his good friends, and his desire was that they would intercede and help share his burden with him. And as we, as we read this passage, we, we realize that here were three fallible men in the moment of the Savior's greatest need. Uh, they fell asleep. They were not focused on the needs of the Savior. As, as we remember the garden scene, though, I want to encourage you, as you think about the ransom paid, think about the burden that our Savior had upon himself as he suffered in the garden. And he didn't even have those closest to him interceding on his behalf. And I just, I think this is something that we need to consider as we ponder and remember this ransom that was paid for us. We need to remember what Jesus went through in the garden. There was a great spiritual battle that happened in the garden and a great victory that was one which I want to get into here in a little bit. Luke chapter 22, verse 47, tells us that, that after they were in this garden and, and Jesus was praying and uh, three times he had gone back to his disciples uh, to, to see if they were interceding and, and every time they were sleeping. And at the end of this period, 
Verse 42, actually, if we go back to Mark 14, 42, he says to his disciples, Rise, let us be going, my betrayer is at hand. And then I want to look at Luke's perspective here in 22, 47. It says, While he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And a man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour. This is the power of darkness. Jesus recognized that this was not the opportune time. This was not a place for him to, to, to bring in the 12 legions of angels or to, or to divert from the plan that him and his father had made. So he, he surrenders himself to the moment because he recognizes a ransom was required. A ransom needed to be paid. And so he says, this is your hour in the power of darkness. And so John 18 after they arrest him and they, they take him into, um, into the temple and ultimately to Pilate, as he's brought before Pilate in John 18, we read this in verse 30, 33, that Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? So Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? I want you to, to take note of this. The, the Savior of the world, being a Jew, coming into the world to his own people. And Pilate makes this comment as he's, as he's looking at Jesus, this, this man that has been brought before him, and he says, your own nation, your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Jesus makes an incredible statement here. And, and, and he says this, and this is words that ring true still today. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, which means that not all the world will listen to his voice. In fact, many, the majority, will probably never listen to his voice. Many will reject him. 
Many will choose their own way of salvation. But everyone who is of the truth listens to his voice. It's, it's to those people that a celebration like today is significant. It's to those people that we, that we can fellowship together with and rejoice together with and remember the significance of the sacrifice of the Lord. After Pilate um, puts Jesus before the Jewish people, um, it says there that he went back outside to the Jews and he, he said to them, I find no fault or no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. And scripture very specifically tells us, now Barabbas was a robber. When, when you think of that, it, the, the justice inside of our hearts cries out. Because we, we recognize, just like Pilate, that Jesus was innocent. There was nothing guilty. There was, there was no guilt. There was no condemnation that any man could lay upon him. And yet he comes to his own nation, and his own nation rejects him. And cries out for Barabbas. They preferred... Insurrection. They, they preferred a man who was willing to rebel against the establishment. You know, both Jesus and Barabbas offered something similar. You ever thought about that? Both of them were encouraging a revolution. I don't know if you ever thought of that. Jesus specifically says here, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm a king. Which means that, that he was not a part of the kingdom of Rome. He was a king, and he was developing a following. He was, he was a revolutionary. He didn't, he didn't just come into the world so the world would remain the same. He came into the world so the world would be changed forever. Barabbas was also one who wanted to cause a revolution. But his revolution was doing it his own way. In his own methods. Whether it was stealing, whether it was robbing, um, being a thief, being a murderer. Some of the Gospels say that he was a murderer. When, when you think about this man... Um, it's interesting that the Jewish people seen the innocence of Jesus and the revolution that Jesus was offering and they chose rather Barabbas. And they chose the one who they thought was maybe going to overthrow Rome. In John chapter 19, as we continue in our story here about this rejection here. After, <clears throat> after the Jewish people and the, the Pharisees had chosen Barabbas instead of Jesus, 
In John 19, verse 1, it says, Then Pilate took Jesus, and he flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head, and they arrayed him in a purple robe. Then they came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again, and he said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Twice, the second time there, he's, he brings him out and says, this, this man, there's no guilt in him. So Jesus came out <clears throat> in, in front of the, the crowds, in front of the, the, the public there. And it says he came out wearing a crown of thorns in a purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The, the third time he, he looks at Jesus and he says, This man isn't guilty. <clears throat> the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered his headquarters again. He said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not even speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? So Jesus answers him and says, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, it says here that Pilate sought to release him. What do you think Pilate seen? He was, he was filled with fear. Three times he had recognized this man that was rejected by his own nation was an innocent man. Three times he, he seen this man was without guilt. And it says Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews, um, they blackmailed him. And they, they cried out to him and said, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Which could have ultimately led to, to Pilate's death. You know, them, them pitting Pilate against um, Caesar who was like a god. And his law and his word was, was followed to the T. <clears throat> they, they said this to Pilate, everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and he sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement <clears throat> in an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him. Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. <clears throat> In John chapter 1, verse 11, John tells us the hearts of these people. And John says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He came to his own people. He, he came as an infant, born in a stable in Bethlehem. And he grew up in Palestine. And his own people, 
The people that should have loved him and should have treasured him and should have understood and and seen him and accepted him as their Messiah. John says, they did not receive him. But then John says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So in John chapter 19, verse 16, we read, So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription, and he put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, Many of the Jews, as, as they walked by the cross, Scripture tells us here, they, they read this inscription. They, they, they read this inscription of, of Christ, and they seen the sign above him that said, King of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. <clears throat> so we read in verse 23 that the, the soldiers that were at, at the foot of the cross, the ones that had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the prophetic scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. <coughs> Excuse me. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to His mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Just a beautiful thought as you you think about and remember the ransom paid. Every moment of the journey to the cross was a demonstration of our Savior being focused on others. And you see that even so clearly in this passage here. In Luke chapter 23, verse 44, we read this. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. I want you to really see this scripture passage here. And there's a a scene that happens here at the cross. It says, Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, Certainly this man was innocent. The crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, we read in verse 48, When they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their hearts. 
or their breasts, beating their breasts. That's an interesting thought. Why? Why did this hardened centurion look upon this man suffering on the cross and come to this conclusion that this man was innocent? Why did the, the, the crowds that were, that were gathered around the cross go home beating their breasts? What did they recognize? They, they, they recognized the choice that they had made. They recognized their acceptance of Barabbas and their rejection of Jesus. They seen something spectacular on the cross. I want, to, want you to look at one other thought here um, in regards to the, the centur centurion here. Mark chapter 15, verse 35. Some of the, the bystanders hearing what Jesus said, um, said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. And they put it on a reed and they gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. <clears throat> and we read this, And Jesus uttered a loud cry, and he breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, let's look at the centurion again. When the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. You know, I was just so um, amazed as I was meditating on that this week. What did this, this hardened centurion see? It's, it's, it's amazing. Think about this, this centurion. Um, a Roman centurion was a man chosen to, to lead um, a, a legion or a squadron of Roman soldiers. He was chosen not because... He was a sweet, kind old gentleman. He was chosen because he was a hardened man. A man used to seeing death. A calloused person. A person who, who wouldn't have thought twice about running his sword through somebody. About eliminating any threat. I mean, this man had probably seen countless criminals being executed for their crimes. And so he looks upon the cross here and he comes to this conclusion that not only was this man innocent, but this man is the Son of God. What did he see? He's he seen what we allow ourselves to see when we really take a good look at the cross. He's seen sacrifice. More than that, I believe he's seen love like he had never seen before. He's seen the love of a man, the love of a God who had created humanity and humanity had rejected him. I don't know what it must have been like 
to have physically been there. But to, to see the, the veil in the temple torn, to observe this man breathing his last and committing his life to the Lord, change this hardened man. And it has the power to change us as well. And I want to encourage you, even this morning, if the, 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 the power of the cross, if the cross and, 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 and Calvary and the crucifixion and the, the work, the finished work of Christ on the cross doesn't move you, then you don't believe. If it doesn't change your heart, then, then maybe you are still asleep. Maybe you're like the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Asleep when they should have been alert. Maybe you're like the bystanders. Choosing Barabbas over Jesus. But if this hardened man, this centurion, could look upon the cross and change, it could change his life, that same thing can happen to us today. And, and I, I feel like far too often we, we choose other things. Maybe we are proud of ourselves that we're not choosing Barabbas. But maybe we're choosing other things. Maybe we're choosing the material things of this life. Maybe there's even some secret sin that we would rather spend time with than our Savior and our Lord. Jesus, in John chapter 10, verse 17, makes a very clear statement about his work on the cross. He says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. What, what, what happened at the cross was a surrendered act by our Savior. We might think, well, it wasn't Pilate in charge. Weren't the chief priests in charge? Didn't they condemn him and reject him? Yeah, they did. But we also know that there was a great battle that took place in the garden where the Father and the Son had a conversation together. And the Son said to the Father, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And the Father and the Son realized there was no other way. And so our Savior resolutely went to the cross because he recognized the ransom needed to be paid. He went of his own accord. He went out of his own choice. And that's why he says here, no one takes it from me. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority, he says, to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You know, I'm, I'm so blessed um, reading John Newton's um, hymn. And it just really resonated with me. I want to share that with you. He says, I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood. He fixed his loving eyes on me as near his cross I stood. And I'm thinking of the centurion here. And I'm thinking of you and me as we contemplate what Christ did for us. He says, he fixed his loving eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Oh, can it be, John Newton says, upon a tree 
The Savior died for me. My soul is thrilled. My heart is filled to think He died for me. Sure, he writes, never till my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with His death, though not a word I spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for your ransom paid. I die that you may live. Oh, can it be upon a tree? The Savior died for me. My soul is thrilled. My heart is filled to think he died for me. Hebrews 9.24 tells us that Christ entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Think about that. He's entered heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And when, when Jesus entered heaven and, and he, he hung his head on the cross, he said, it is finished. And he entered heaven he could come with the papers. He could say the ransom has been paid. The gift has been given. The sacrifice has been made. The people are free. And, and we go to Ephesians, Ephesians, and Ephesians tells us that this wall that was between us and our Heavenly Father has come down. It's been broken. It's no longer there. Remember, this wall that was erected in the Garden of Eden, when when Adam and Eve turned away from God towards self, this wall came down. The ransom was paid. The price was paid. So I want to close with a thought here from Martin Luther. He writes this, All the prophets did foresee in spirit that Christ should become the greatest transgressor, murderer, adulterer, thief, rebel, blasphemer, etc., that ever was or could be in all the world. For he being made a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world is not now an innocent person and without sins, but a sinner. He was willing to become this for us. And Martin Luther says he was, he was of course, talking about the imputing of our wrongdoing to Christ as our substitute. Luther continues here, and this is a, an amazing thought here. He says, our most merciful Father sent His only Son into the world and laid upon Him the sins of all men, saying this, Be thou Peter, the denier, Paul, that persecutor, blasphemer and cruel oppressor, David, that adulterer, that sinner which did eat the apple in paradise, that thief which hanged upon the cross, and briefly be thou the person which hath committed the sins of all men. See therefore that thou pay and satisfy for them. 
Here now comes the law and saith, I find him a sinner. Therefore let him die upon the cross. And so he, he setteth upon him and killeth him. By this means the whole world is purged and cleansed from all sins. The presentation, he says, of the death of Christ as the substitute exhibits the love of the cross more richly, more fully, gloriously, and glowingly than any other account of it. Luther saw this and he glorified in it. And he wrote this to his friend, Learn to know Christ and Him crucified. Learn to sing to Him and say, Lord Jesus, You are my righteousness. I am your sin. You have taken upon Yourself what is mine and given me what is Yours. You became what You were not so that I might become what I was not. What a great and wonderful exchange. The world has never witnessed that kind of love. And you have an opportunity today as you take of the bread and of the cup to remember that the ransom has been paid. And I hope that this never becomes casual to you. And I hope that you you will be weighed down with the meaning, the gravity of this thought of Christ redeeming you. This is personal. This is between you and your Savior. Don't lose sight of that, ever. Think about the centurion that was at the bottom of the cross. And, and, and just think of John Newton's song even. I saw one hanging on a tree. And he, he fixed his loving eyes on me. And he does that today. But many, most in our world still reject him. But to those who turn to him, he has given the power to become children of God. What a beautiful thought. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as we think about Good Friday, Lord, what a, what a good day it, it sure was, Lord. Lord, there has never been a better day in all of humanity, in all the world, Lord. So, Father, as we meditate on this day, we're so grateful that as you wrestled in the garden, you didn't walk away. We're so grateful that our Savior paid the price finished the journey, finished what you had planned together in heaven, how to redeem us, how to pay the ransom. Lord, may we never lose sight of that. May we be eternally grateful. Lord, as we remember all of these things here today, help us to reflect, help us to just be grateful to take in this moment and to recognize how deeply you loved humanity, Lord. How deeply, how willingly you were to give of yourself. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for giving us your only Son. Lord, we have, we have nothing else we can give you but ourselves. In all of our 
um, fallibility, Lord, all of our flaws, all of our sin, our hearts which are often, far too often wicked. Lord, we, we offer you ourselves, Lord, and I know it's a poor exchange, Lord, but yet you desired this to be, Lord. We are your creation. Lord, you created us after you made us to look like you in your own image. And Father, it's because of what happened on Good Friday, Lord, that we are now able to come to the table. We're able now to be dressed in the righteousness of our Savior. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for your willingness, Lord. Father, I just pray that your heart and your passion in your life would change us forever, Lord. May we meditate on these things daily, minute by minute, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.